it just happens that humor is the most shareable content on on the internet. You can get some shareability out of you know feel good messages. Sometimes you can get some shareability out of controversial messages. Sometimes you can even get some shareability out of fear based messages. But compa compared to humor, the shareability of all of those is really really low. When you go to post something in in your Facebook feed, for instance, if it's a fear based message. You're going to be thinking twice about that, right? Because you're like, oh man, I don't want to be that guy. That's the voice of Benton Crane, CEO of the Harmon Brothers. That's right, the guys behind viral video ad sensations for Squatty Potty, for Poopery, for Fiberfix, Purple, and Chatbooks, and many more. I know that you've seen their work, and if you're like me, you love their work. So, Welcome to episode 111 of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast. This is the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, helping you engage your ideal audience to action through online video. I'll be bringing you the absolute best in the world of video marketing, content creation, storytelling, and marketing strategy, as together we grow to dominate online video and build profitable businesses. I'm your host, Ben Amos. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of effective video marketing to engage your audience and grow your business. I'm Ben Amos from Engage Video Marketing, and I'm here to help you better use video to achieve your goals for your business or for your clients. This is episode 111, and I'm excited because in today's episode, I'm going to bring to you an interview I did with Benton Crane, the CEO of Harmon Brothers. Now, as I said in the introduction there, the Harmon Brothers are the agency behind such viral videos as Poopery, Squatty Potty, Fiber Fix, and many others. And I'm sure we've all seen the squatting unicorn pooing out rainbow soft serve ice cream. It's honestly a sight that once seen, you can never get out of your head. But why I wanted to bring Benton on today was to really unpack for you the approach that the Harmon Brothers take when marketing a product using video. I wanna also explore how long form hero videos, such as the type that Harmon Brothers create for their clients, how it works on Facebook and YouTube and, and the changing face of video platforms today, and what others can learn from their approach to creativity, humor, and storytelling in order to do better video for our own clients or for our own businesses. The Harmon Brothers tagline is, get a crap ton of eyeballs with ads that brand and sell. And if you're a video marketer like me, I know that's something that is intriguing and valuable for us to learn more about. So I won't keep you any longer. Let's get into the interview with Benton Crane from the Harmon Brothers. All right, Benton Crane, welcome to the Engage Video Marketing Podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's awesome to have you here. And you know, for any of our listeners who haven't seen any of the Harmon Brothers' work, well, first of all, I'd be incredibly surprised. Um, I listed before we started the interview here a whole bunch of uh, video hero videos that I'm sure people have probably seen. But for people that don't know the people behind those videos, the Harmon Brothers and yourself, Benton, can you give us a bit of a backstory about you and and the Harmon Brothers? Certainly. So yeah, like you mentioned, we've got a whole bunch of different campaigns. A lot of people see those campaigns and think that, you know, we're the viral guys. We do viral videos. Um, but 
you know, the, the reality is most of those didn't go viral, but we, we have figured out a way to kind of bridge the worlds of you've got traditional branding on, on one side where you've got your Nike and your Apple doing all the feel good advertising. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got your infomercials, your direct response stuff. And those are the two worlds that we've blended together. And, and I think you, you see that in our, in our ads over and over again, that style where we're driving an immediate ROI, pushing for that sale, but we're also building a brand for, for the long term at the same time. So that's kind of who we are. That, that's what we do. The background of how we came together. Um, I was a, a data geek. I love spreadsheets. Um, I worked as a statistician and an econometrician, uh, spent several years out in Washington, DC and, um, my partners, the, the brothers who they all have the last name Harmon. I don't. And they, they were pioneering video marketing in the early days of YouTube with a product called the aura brush. It was a tongue brush that you brush your tongue and scrape the gunk off your tongue to get rid of bad breath. And, and they created some ads that they released on YouTube. And that was kind of the first time a company had ever, you know, used YouTube as an ad platform. And they grew like crazy, ended up with nationwide distribution. You know, the, the company ended up getting acquired by Dentech and, and the brothers um, left, to, left the company to go do the Poopery campaign, which was the original one we, we came together for. So I joined up with, with the three brothers and together we created Harmon Brothers, which is now, um, you know, the agency that, that everyone knows. And, um, you know, after Poopery, many others followed Squatty Potty, Purple, Chatbooks, um, you know, more recently, Lumi Deodorant and many others. But that's kind of the, the, the nutshell history of how it all came together. Yeah, cool. Um, and it's your... I guess tagline for your business is about getting a crap ton of eyeballs with ads that brand and sell. That idea of crap ton of eyeballs is certainly something that you've achieved with, I think, billions of views on, on your collective videos over over time. But what I'm interested in hearing from you is, I think, it's that idea of a crap ton of eyeballs, both branding and selling. And and you mentioned briefly there that kind of connection between branding and direct response kind of infomercial kind of stuff. And and I think when people watch a Harmon Brothers Hero video, which is your, your kind of core video that you create for for your clients, it is that, that yep. combination. Can you talk to us about, about, you know, what you see in the wider industry, the, the disconnect between branding and selling? Yeah. So I don't know exactly why, but the whole entire advertising industry, in, in my opinion, has kind of been brainwashed to believe that those two worlds are separate worlds that cannot coexist. And, and you know, people on both sides of the spectrum kind of tend to hate on uh, people on the other side of the spectrum, right? So in your direct response world, you know, people are very critical of branding, right? It's, Oh, it's not measurable. Um, it's, uh, there's no way to, to know your ROI on that. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're, it's going to take years or at least months to, to see any type of ROI, lots of criticism towards branding. Right. And then in the opposite direction, you get, you get criticism going back the other way, like, you know, Ooh, gross infomercial, you know, that's nasty. I need to go take a shower after I wash yeah. that. <laughs> and, um, and, 
it, it, for us, we look at that and we're like, man, both, both of these types of advertising have so much value to bring to the table. It just kind of depends on what stage a company is at to understand what approach they should be taking. So for example, a brand new startup, they just need to keep the lights on, right? They've got, you know, they probably have a couple of employees they need to pay. They've got the electricity bill, the rent bill. They just need to stay in business. And, and so what they need, they just need some cells, right? Yeah. And, and so for them, direct response makes perfect sense. It's 100% appropriate. And that's exactly what they should be doing versus, you know, Nike or Apple, you're never going to hear Nike or Apple, you know, run an ad that says, you know, hurry and call this 1-800 number while supplies last. They're just not going to do that, right? Because they're at a point in, in their company's development where brand is everything for them. And, and it's totally appropriate. And that's the exact approach that, that they should be taking. But for everyone in between, it's a little bit more gray area. It's, it's like, you know, oftentimes it's confusing around, okay, when do I start my branding efforts or when do I shift over to, to focus on branding instead of, instead of sales. And that's where, when we came into the industry, we've tried to smooth that out. Excuse me. We we've tried to make it less of a binary decision where it's, it's one or the other. And, and we're trying to show that you can do some of both Maybe it's a lot of one and a little bit of the other, but at least you're doing both activities at, at the same time. So even for a young company that is still focused on sales, they can start to shift that focus into branding by focusing on things like developing a brand character, developing a brand voice. Um, is humor part of our brand? You can start to incorporate those things early on. And then over time, the more you grow and the more established you become, um, you know, once you have a sales base already in place, then you can start to shift more and more towards the branding efforts. And, and hopefully, you know, as entrepreneurs, we all dream one day of achieving that, you know, household brand status of, you know, everyone knows your brand, they recognize and trust and, and most importantly, they, they remember your brand, right? That's what we're all going for. But it's a, it's a process to get there. Yeah. I think what you've really, um, you've really kind of given clarity around there is in, in, in most larger organizations, what I see is this kind of disconnect between the marketing department and the sales department, right? This idea of the sales people, they want to make sales and the marketing department want to increase the brand and, you know, get better brand exposure and things like that. And there is often that kind of disconnect. And even in many organizations, marketing and sales, they're two different departments. They're Probably I'll be, be honest. But... <laughs> I'll be honest. That really boggles my mind. Yeah. In fact, it's so crazy to me that in most companies, you know, the marketing team reports to the CMO and the sales team reports to the CRO. And, and I sit there and I look at that and I just scratch my head and I'm like, how on earth can an organization separate those two functions to the point where they're siloed all the way up to the very top of, of, of the organization. That just like makes my head explode. Um, you know, granted, I haven't, you know, worked in, in, in one of those big companies in, involved in, in the marketing or, or the sales side. And so maybe they have their reasons, but from an outsider looking in who has proven that 
you can brand and sell at the same time. If I was in one of those organizations, I would be asking myself, how do I make it so that all of the marketing efforts are contributing to sales? And how do all of the sales efforts contribute to marketing? Because at the end of the day, you need both, right? You, you've got to have the sales to, to drive the revenue, keep the lights on, but you've got to have that brand building to stand the test of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it bugs me and boggles me too, you know. Uh, obviously, if you've seen a Harmon Brothers campaign, you would understand that humor plays a big part in in what you guys do and how you deliver, particularly the branding, right? Um, how, do you, how do you kind of balance the the way that you measure the success of the campaign, is it all based on sales or is it based on that awareness as, you know, that, that branding as well? Like what are you actually measuring to, to determine the success of a campaign? Once again, it, it varies depending on the stage that a company is at. So for example, a very early stage company would probably need to measure the success of a campaign 100% based on sales, right? For them, the key metric is I put a dollar into advertising and I need to get $2 back out in revenue because that's what allows me to have a, a healthy, sustainable business. But then you fast forward to a company who, um, let, let's imagine a company who has some retail presence and, and retail is a little bit harder to measure the direct impact of, of a campaign. And so they might take the approach and say, Look, on my online efforts, I want to put $1 in and get $1 back out. And I understand that if I'm looking at that in just a vacuum, that that would not be a profitable business. That would not be sustainable in and of itself. But I know that at the same time I'm doing that, I'm driving a whole bunch of views and awareness that is going to then drive lift in, in retail. And, um, and so a company like that, they need to look at the success or failure of, of the campaign on a holistic basis. They need to look at, is the campaign raising all boats, retail um, and, and e-commerce and any other distribution channel as well. And so th that's kind of how, how our clients in that position will look at it. On a micro level, they're saying, okay, let, let's spend a dollar to get a dollar back. That, that's how we'll kind of adjust our ad spend to make sure that we're tracking right. But at a macro level, we're looking for overall lift. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that with us. So oh, well, I want to kind of dive into, I guess, the anatomy of a Harmon Brothers campaign. And where I want to start really is exploring how you even decide on what campaigns to to take on or what businesses to take on as clients um, and what not to. You know, I guess you've probably yeah. got some criteria around, you know, we talked about the humor being a big part of what you tend to do. You know, do some businesses come to you and you go, you know what, guys, you're just not funny. We can't do that with you. Or what was it? Tell us what criteria do you kind of focus on? It, it's interesting because we actually have done a couple of non-humorous campaigns that were actually really, really successful. Okay. Um, but like you've seen, so much of what you've seen us do is humorous. And the reason for that it just happens that humor is the most shareable content on, on the internet, right? You, you can, you can get some shareability out of, you know, feel good messages. Sometimes you can get some shareability out of controversial messages. Um, sometimes you can even get some shareability out of fear-based messages, but compa compared to humor, 
the shareability of all of those is really, really low. And it, it's easy to imagine, like when you go to post something in, in your Facebook feed, for instance, if it's a fear-based message, you're going to be thinking twice about that, right? Because you're like, oh man, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I, I don't want to be a drag on all my friends. Or same thing with controversy. It's like, you know, I've got this controversial, you know, topic. And maybe half my audience will really like it, but there's probably a good chance the other half is going to be kind of turned off by it. And so I'm going to be hesitant to post something like that. Whereas with humor, like across the board, that is the easiest thing to share because it adds value to our network. It, it, it provides value for, for, you know, our, 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 all of our friends and everyone who are watching our feed. And so we don't hesitate to, to post that. And so from an advertiser's perspective, we look at it and say, okay, I'm about to spend a hundred dollars to buy ads. And if I know I can get an additional $10 worth of, you know, advertising, but it comes for free from sharing, then I just got my ads on sale compared to all my competitors. And, and so if you can build that shareability into your, into your content, then all of a sudden your advertising gets five, 10, 15, 20, 25% more effective than if it doesn't have that shareability. And that's a huge competitive advantage compared to your competitors who are bidding on the same ad spaces, but because they don't have that shareability built in, their dollars just don't go as far. And so you win. And, and that's why you see us use humor so often. It, it, it's just, uh, in today's day and age, you can't force your ads on anyone. It, it's not like it used to be where you can just like force feed stuff to people. Now it's all permission based. They can skip your ads anytime that they want to. And, and so unless you're making something that people want to watch, they're going to skip over it. Yeah. I love that idea of the, you know, most people are focused when they're creating creative video creative specifically for, um, an ad campaign across social channels. They're focused on, on the ad trying to drive the action rather than thinking of the ad, um, as trying to just drive engagement with people, which then you've got that added benefit of all the organic reach, right? Um, which I think most people, when you're creating an ad, they're not thinking of, and how can we get people to actually share this organically so that we get that discount on ad spend, which is a really nice way to look at it. Right. Well, in, in fairness, that balance you just described of, we want to drive engagement, but we also want to drive sales. That line um, <laughs> that, you know, the, the perfect balance between those two worlds is what is really challenging to uh, to hit. And that's what, you know, we've kind of been developing and perfecting for, you know, for six years now, because so oftentimes when, when you say, okay, let's build in humor, you let the humor become a distraction from the actual message. It's just humor for humor's sake. And so it leaves the viewer going, ha ha, that was funny, but but they don't, they don't want to buy. Yeah. They don't yeah, click the yeah. button. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. Or you go overboard on just the pitch, right? It's and then it, then it becomes like old traditional infomercials that are just, you know, they're just pushy. They're, they're no longer um, welcoming and, and, and inviting and something you would choose to watch. And so finding that fine line um, uh, between those two worlds, that's, that's kind of the, the balance that we're always looking for. 
And we found the key to get it is essentially to, um, to try to write humor into the entire script, but then we cut anything that is not adding to the message or adding to the, the sale. You know, it, 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 usually the goal is, is to sell products. And so if we have a joke that's just there for the sake of being funny, we'll cut that out. Yeah, cool. So any business with enough cash in their pocket can come and get a Harmon Brothers hero ad? Is that how you guys work? Or I assume not. <laughs> so break it down. So how do you decide on who to work with? Yeah, yeah, I forgot you had asked that yeah, question well, that's earlier. That's okay, so. we went somewhere else. But we'll come back to that. Yep, <laughs> yep. okay. Um, so, all right, first and foremost we want to be aligned with, with the brands and the products, the services that, that we work with. So the easiest way to find alignment is just to focus on products that we use and love. And so, you know, as companies reach out to us and, and, you know, explore a potential Harmon Brothers campaign, that's the first thing we just, all right, you know, let us use it. You know, sometimes it's send over some samples, maybe it's, you know, send us, you know, some trial accounts or, or whatever it is. And we just start using it and experiencing it. And what we found is if we find ourselves naturally talking about it and discussing it, sharing it, we, we find that the kind of this passion starts to build inside of us. And that's a really good sign because we know when we personally feel passionate about, you know, these products and services, we're, excuse me, we're going to be able to communicate that in our ads, um, that, that, that shows in a big time way. So that's a big piece. Um, another really big piece for us is that we guard creative control really, really, um, carefully. Um, I, I, I've read about, you know, several, you know, several successful storytellers like George Lucas, when he was making the original Star Wars, he, he had an executive from the studio who kept meddling in the project and it just drove him bonkers. And so when he went to make The Empire Strikes, Strikes Back, he self-funded the entire thing just to keep the studios out of it. And like he put his, his personal financial well-being at risk to, just to keep you know, studios out of the picture because he wanted that, that creative control. And, and, and we've kind of learned that for us, that type of creative control is really, really important. And so we find clients who are willing to trust us at, you just give us insane levels of trust to basically say, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to listen to you like crazy. We're going to understand you. We're going to understand your product. We're going to understand your service. We're going to listen to your customers. We're going to um, absorb all the data we can about your brand. But once we absorb all of that, we're going to take all of that, internalize it, and then we're going to come up with a, a concept and a strategy that we're going to bring to your brand that's going to be new. It's going to be different. Um, it, it, it might surprise you a little bit, um, but that's what you're hiring us for is to, to bring really unique take and perspective to, to your brand. So are you presenting a concept to to the client for their sign-off or are you actually then pitching three or four different concepts and allowing them to choose? Like how much control do they have or do you, do you maintain? Yeah, great question. So prior to contract, we don't even talk concepts. 
um, uh, we, we sign all of our, our clients just based on, um, the track record of what we've done and the promise that we will do our all to, you know, to repeat that, that type of success for, for the client. But then once the contract starts, we go into what we call a brain dump phase. Usually takes about a month where we're just absorbing anything and everything that we can about the brand, about the founders, uh, about the customers, about the market, about the products, all of that stuff. We're just absorbing it. And then we bring the client in for what we call a writing retreat. And that's where we go to Sundance, Utah, uh, you know, the famous Sundance Film Festival. Yeah. We, we rent a cabin up in the mountains. We bring the client out. And um, we have four writers who will each, in a vacuum, they don't collaborate on this part. They each write their own concept and script. And, and they bring it to the cabin. And... We, each writer takes a turn and reads their script and the client hears it for the first time and I hear it for the first time. And, and so I'm going through the same experience as my client while our, our writers are essentially like presenting their, their ideas. And so we, um, we go through about four of those and then we, we go into like teardown mode where we just dissect all of the different scripts, the concepts, what's working, what's not, what hits, what doesn't, what resonates, what doesn't. And, and then that allows us to identify what is the core concept that we want to build around. And then at that point, all four writers go back to the writing board, but then all four of them collaborate around a single concept instead of those four individual concepts. And so oftentimes, you know, you'll have some phenomenal jokes from one script will make it into the final script, even though the final script might be based on one of the others, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so the client gets to be in the room and be part of that discussion and part of that process. And so actually the client never feels like we pitched them per se. They more feel like they were kind of along for the ride as the, as the idea and the concept developed. So by the time we leave that writing retreat, the client is like, they're 100% aligned with us fully on board. And so we can go into our pre-production phase already having the full backing of the client without ever having to, you know, convince them. Yeah. Cool. That must be a fun, fun process to, to see from your perspective, um, to be part of that and just hear those ideas from the writers. But one thing that just instantly came to mind, which is, you know, it sucks that I even have to ask this question, but I've come across this myself is at what stage do sometimes clients go, ah, but we have to run that by legal. Do you ever get that issue? So the, the way we approach it is we say, okay, at the writing retreat, we need you to bring no more than three people. It can be up to three people because we don't want committees. We don't yeah. want, um, you know, uh, people, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen but we require that they have um, the final decision maker there and the person who is responsible for the long term of the brand. Um, so, you know, usually it's a CEO and a, and a CMO will be there. And so from a legal perspective, occasionally we'll get a line or a joke that we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to need to talk to the attorneys about that particular line or that particular joke. But never do we um, have at a conceptual level 
a roadblock that we can't address right there because we have the final decision makers in the room and we know, okay, we can push forward with this or we can't. And we, we get that right up front. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's good. So the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the core outcome from, from a process, uh, from the creative process of working with Harmon Brothers is, is what you call a hero film, which is your long form video. Do are you creating multiple deliverables, multiple videos for any given campaign, or is it basically just that one video that, that you're delivering? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the initial deliverable um, is usually that full-length hero campaign in a couple of different um, uh, uh, aspect ratios. So, you know, we'll, we'll cut up for, for Facebook um, which is usually square or, um, is it three, four or four, three? Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, not the, I'm not the tech. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not the technical guy here, but for Facebook. Right. Yeah. And then we'll get a 16 by nine for, um, for YouTube and, and for television and, and, and those type of platforms. That's, that's like the initial deliverable. But then of course, these ads are, you know, anywhere from two and a half to five minutes long. And so there's all sorts of opportunities to come back behind and cut 60 second variations, 30 second variations, um, you know, five second looping videos, you name it, you know. Um, and so by the time you, you cut all sorts of different variations in a bunch of different aspect ratios, you can end up with, you know, 30, 40, 50, uh, you know, deliverables that are actually coming from from a single hero campaign yeah and and that doesn't even account for um the testing that we do prior to launch where we test different thumbnails and we test different um different titles we test different intros um so yeah there there's a lot of pieces um does that kind of answer yeah, yeah. answer your question there's there's the main hero a couple different um, aspect ratios and then a whole bunch of variations around it. And when the, with the testing there, you mentioned testing thumbnails, titles, you know, metadata, that optimization, which can be done after the creatives created. Um, but you also mentioned introductions. So are you effectively sh pre-producing and shooting multiple versions of the script so that you can run it through testing and see what sticks? Is, is that what you do? Absolutely. We do that with the intros. We do it with the calls to action and we do it with the offers. Okay. So those are kind of, those are kind of the three levers that you have. And, um, it, you know, as a video guy yourself, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing that being like, Whoa, that can add a lot of cost. Yes, it, it does. Cause you know, instead of writing one intro, we, we now have to write three, four, you know, maybe six intros. Um, and then we have to film six intros and we have to finish six intros but what we found is that usually the difference between your lowest performing intro and your highest performing intro is drastic. And, and when I say drastic, sometimes we're talking, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% higher view through rate on your, your best performing intro over your, your lowest performing intro. And so you know, from a pricing standpoint, we have to help our clients understand that, yes, you're going to be spending more because we have to produce more content to make this possible. 
but your chances of the campaign being successful go up drastically because instead of taking one shot at that intro, we're now taking four or five different shots at it and then testing in to find out what the perfect one is. The power of testing and and understanding the the data, right? It's just can't be overlooked. Yeah, that that's that's kind of the piece that I brought to the table. You know, being a, a data, data nerd. nerd. Yeah, yeah um, uh, I came and joined up in in a world that I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about video. I knew nothing about advertising at the time. Um, but I brought the data piece, and we've created this beautiful cycle where the data is informing the creative and then the creative is, is um, essentially producing data through, through testing. And it's this beautiful cycle that allows us to just test and learn and test and learn. And, and so while from the outside looking in, people look down through our list of campaigns and they're like, dang, how, how do you guys get it right every time? But that's not, you know, it's not genius. It's not luck. It's just simply, we have a methodology that allows us to test our way into success. Yeah, cool. Love that. So when you think about the distribution platforms that you're using, does that data kind of influence for any given campaign where are you going to do the biggest push or are you just focused on mostly YouTube, mostly Facebook these days? Like how do you decide on, on where the content needs to go out to? G- great question. So, um, Facebook always is the starting point now. Um, they've become the 800 pound gorilla and, and YouTube is, um, is kind of a distant second. Um, but what we try to help all of our clients understand is that if they just have a single channel approach or maybe just a two channel approach, they really put themselves at high risk. Um, for example, um, when was it? Uh, it was like a year. It was like March of last year. Um, Facebook made some sweeping changes. Um, and, and part of that was they reduced the total amount of ad inventory. Um, any ad buyers listening to this will probably remember w- when this happened because across the board, all of a sudden ads got significantly more expensive. Sometimes, you know, 50% more, more expensive. And this was just overnight, right? And, and so I saw companies who were so dependent on Facebook as their only channel that, you know, they're going along, they think life is good. Their, their ads are, you know, in the money, so to speak, they're, they're working. And all of a sudden Facebook makes those changes and boom, they're all of their efforts get turned upside down. And they went from having a healthy growing business to just a flat plateaued, um, uh, you know, mess, you know, for, for lack of a, lack of a better term. And, and so what we always try to help our clients think about is instead of saying, okay, I can drive a better ROI on Facebook than I can on, on YouTube. Instead, we try to help them think, let's have a YouTube strategy and a Facebook strategy, maximize your ROI on Facebook in a vacuum maximize your ROI on YouTube in a vacuum and don't compare them to each other. Because if you do that, then it leads you to believe, Oh, I should shut off one and leave the other, leave the other on, which short term feels nice, but long term it, it, it really puts you at risk. So 
to answer your question, start on Facebook, go into YouTube, and then start branching out from there. Uh, play around with with Instagram. You can get it even get into the over the top TV. You know, with things like um, Hulu, for for instance, and and eventually, you know, several of our uh, clients like Purple and and Squatty Potty, and I think we've had a couple others. Once you test online and you find out what version works and and, and drives the best results, then you can take that version to TV where, you know, TV is not nearly as trackable, but you can get some really great reach on, on TV. Yeah. Cool. So what I'm used to just go back and just unpack for you, why you feel that Facebook for your type of content is, is the right way to go. Like, uh, is it based on viewer numbers or is it based on the fact that it autoplays and your videos are kind of catchy, you know, they're, they're interesting, they're funny, they kind of catch people's attention. What, what is it about Facebook that steers you there? Uh, so, so a couple of things. From an advertiser's perspective, Facebook is where all the sharing happens and YouTube is where all the searching happens. Yeah. And, and so you kind of have to have this, this parallel approach because um, th- they're two different things, right? Oftentimes people think think of them as like different versions of the same thing, but your YouTube strategy should be designed more like a search ads strategy, right? You're basing it around, um, keywords and, and, and it's designed more like what your AdWords strategy would be. Whereas as Facebook, it's more about, um, getting it out in front of, uh, the right audiences at, at the right time. And, and so for instance, we talked earlier about how shareability makes your ad dollars go further. Well, if the sharing is happening on Facebook, then naturally those ad dollars are going to go further um, because you have that advantage. And then in addition, Facebook also just has more robust targeting capabilities, right? Where we, we've proven ourselves very willing to tell everything about ourselves to Facebook Um, and, and so they know us at such intimate levels that I think there's never been a targeting platform quite like, quite like Facebook. And, and that's saying a lot because Google has a lot of information about us too, but not as much as Facebook. Yeah. Cool. Makes sense. Look, I just, um, want to be conscious of your time here, Benton, and thank you for all the, all the, everything that you've shared so far. It's been really insightful and interesting conversation, hopefully for our listeners too, if not for me, at least, um, I want to just to, to wrap up here, just ask you what's next for you guys at Harmon Brothers. What, where are you, where are you going with the company? What's the future vision? Because is your goal just to just keep out doing yourselves with each new campaign and, and can you keep doing that? Oh, I, I love this question. I love, love, love this question. So I believe that, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that we live in a world now where you can't force your ads on anyone. You have to be creating content that people actually want to watch. And at the same time that's happening with the shift in the entertainment industry, moving away from, you know, traditional television into streaming, Netflix, Amazon, and, and the likes, where we used to have commercial breaks, those are going away. And so where brands used to be able to reach our eyeballs, those brands have been pushed out. And, and so it's creating this really interesting dynamic where brands are extremely thirsty right now to find new ways to reach us. And, and so I believe 
that we're in a world that's about to go into this new phase of advertising where the worlds of entertainment and advertising, which used to kind of be separate, you know, they kind of ran parallel paths, but they were very separate. I think those two worlds are going to start to intermix and, and become one in the same in ways that, that, that we've never even imagined before, but in figuring out ways that it is a natural, a natural experience for the viewer. Um, so of course we're not going to want to, um, you know, do cheesy ways that, Product uh, you know, placement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, product placement yeah. is a booming industry right now, right? With, yeah. with the brands being pushed out of commercial breaks, product placement is absolutely booming and that's a huge industry. But I know that brands want so much more that they, they want, they want the integrations to go deeper than that. And, and so that's the world that we are experimenting in and, and playing because we already build ads that are designed to entertain. And the next phase that we want to take that into is actually building entertainment that has brand integrations with it that people actually welcome. They, the, the, it, it feels natural that they're excited for, for it to be there. When I look at the industry as a whole, I think that's where the huge opportunity is. And, and I think the creators who can figure out ways to melt those two worlds together are going to have enormous opportunities for success in the future. So I have to ask anything in the pipeline with you guys in that space or not yet? Yeah, we've, we've got several uh, experiments and projects in the works, but, um, but nothing that, it, that is yet at a point where I can say, hey, go check this out. Yeah. Um, so, so hopefully in the, in the not too different distant future, uh, we'll have some stuff for, uh, for you guys to check out, but today still working on it. Cool. Well, I'm excited to, to see where that goes and to, to follow you guys. And for our listeners, there are a number of ways that they can stay in touch with what the Harmon brothers have going on. And one of those is their podcast from poop to gold, which I'll shout out. It's a good listen. Um, and there are some other ways as well. You've got the Harmon Brothers University. Do you want to give us a quick uh, idea of what the Harmon Brothers University is, Benton? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, essentially, you know, we got several years into this and we, we were kind of turning away hundreds and hundreds of companies who were reaching out to us and, and looking for our help. And, um, and, and, Ultimately, we, we really wanted to find ways to help more companies out there. And so we decided to just open up all of our methodologies and teach them, um, teach how we write, teach how we film, teach how we edit, teach how we, we build comedy into, um, into our, our ads. And so that all lives at harmonbrothersuniversity.com. And, um, and we have several different courses there. And, and so for anyone who's interested in really diving in deep and learning how to do what we do, um, that that's, that's the place to do it. And it's also, um, it's also kind of a, a great recruiting tool for us where as we are, um, you know, kind of expanding out and needing additional talent to work on all these various projects that we have going on, um, our students are a great place to, to draw that talent from. 
Awesome. Guys, we'll have all the links to everything that we've mentioned in this show at the show notes page for this episode. Um, Benton, I just want to thank you for your time today and for all the insight that you've shared and, and to thank you and the Harmon Brothers team as well for all the awesome content you're creating, which I believe is making the internet a better place. It's uh, every, every campaign is worth checking out. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks again to Benton for joining me on the Engage Video Marketing Podcast. So what did you guys think of the show? I'd love to hear any sort of insight or anything that you want to share that you took away from this episode today. Reach out to me anytime at engage underscore Ben on Instagram or Twitter and um, let's open up a conversation. In fact, if you want to join me live on the show to actually be coached with your own video strategy or to walk through live on the podcast a video marketing problem that you or your clients are experiencing, I'd love for you to join me on an upcoming episode where I'm going to be coaching one of you guys, the listeners to this show, right here on the podcast. If you want to apply for that, please head on over to engagevideomarketing.com slash podcast coaching, all one word, engagevideomarketing.com slash podcast coaching. All the links to everything that Benton mentioned within this episode is at the show notes page at engagevideomarketing.com slash episode 111. That's episode 111. So head on over there and you can link through to everything that we've got going on. And if you've enjoyed today's show, I'd love a rating and a review on your podcast player. Every rating and a review helps this show reach more people and also gives me a bit of a boost and provides me with some valuable feedback to do a better job with this podcast for you. And once again, I'm Ben Amos from Engage Video Marketing and my role is to help you engage your ideal audience to action through effective online video strategy. Don't be a stranger, reach out to me anytime and thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye for now. Did you know that your email list can often become the most valuable asset to your business? If you've been building your business for any time at all and haven't yet built an email list, then now's the time to get started. Or maybe you've got an email list but struggle to make the most of it. I want to introduce you to my email list provider and I know you're going to love them too. ConvertKit is the email provider built by creators for creators. The team at ConvertKit have been in our shoes and they know what it takes to grow a successful business. And your email list is the tool that will get you there. The best thing is that ConvertKit is seriously easy to use, powerful, but intuitive. Personally, I've tried a handful of email service providers over the years, Aweber, MailChimp, Infusionsoft, but since switching to ConvertKit over 12 months ago, I seriously have not looked back. And as an Engage Video Marketing podcast listener, I've arranged for you to get your first 30 days of ConvertKit absolutely free. Normally, you only get 14 days if you sign up direct through their website. So to give it a try for 30 days, head on over to engagevideomarketing.com slash ConvertKit. Now, this is my affiliate link. So if you do become a ConvertKit customer, then you'll be supporting this show and investing in your business through clever email marketing at the same time. So it's a win-win. The link again, engagevideomarketing.com slash convertkit.